One of the things that uh, I have always loved, and if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to get them out tonight. We will be going uh, through several passages that uh, I would like to uh, call your attention to. But one of the things that I have always loved and enjoyed is books. Uh, we might look back in early literature as civilization was on the rise. When we look at Homer and his great works, the Iliad and the Odyssey, and we see how those were preserved throughout time and how cultures were captivated by the stories of Odysseus as he fought uh, those great uh, enemies that he had at that time. We might cast our glance back, maybe even a little bit more forward in time, more recent, uh, to Virgil and his story of Aeneas, pious Aeneas, as he is called by many. Uh, and we relate as he began to found the city of Rome and the telling there by Virgil of that founding. And then we move forward into the histories of Livy and the Roman Empire and the great works that he wrote. No doubt many of them are missing. We might look at Tacitus' annals of history uh, as he records the events and the goings-on. Many of us are familiar with Josephus and have consulted his works. The point being is that books are myriad. And there's a great fascination with them because even after the author has died, it's as almost as if he is speaking from the grave to us, and we can go back and understand the thoughts and the intents and his views that they had in those times. We might move forward even into our own British heritage, Chaucer and Milton, uh, great other figures who have authored great works that we have read and that we've been so captivated by. I suppose what I think is the most interesting about these books is that they have the ability to arrest our attention like nothing else. In fact, the book that you hold tonight in your very hand arrests our attention with one of the greatest stories ever told. But I want us to reflect particularly on one passage tonight and what its implications are. It's found in Revelation 20 in verse 12. And the Bible there says, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things that were written in the books according to their works. Based upon this text here, what we see is a plurality of books. And I would like to propose maybe tonight several books that are mentioned, at least by implication as well, in the very one that you hold in your hand, the great book. And the first of that is the book of nature. In Psalm 19, verse 1, the Bible there says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night shows forth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the world, and their words to the end of the earth. In them has he set a tabernacle for the sun. We look at what the psalmist writes there in that passage and what he is telling us is that nature itself directs our attention to a supreme and sovereign creator. Nature itself shows us and points to the God of the universe. Paul would even make this statement in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, where he says, For the invisible things from the creation of the world, note what he says here, are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. I, I appreciate Paul's sentiment here because what he is telling us is that even nature can cause us to reflect upon God's greatness. 
as we move forward into Acts chapter 14 in the New Testament and what its declarations are of nature, uh, Paul and Barnabas, who have been on their evangelistic or missionary journey, are now in Lystra, and they're struggling to capture people's attention with the gospel. And in their argumentation for the God of heaven, note what they say in verse 17 of chapter 14. He left not himself without witness. He did good, gave rains and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. Where do those things come from? You see, I'm convinced that those things come from nature. God, in His great wisdom, has given us the ability to harvest the grain, to go back and to grow the fruit of the field, the crops, the animals, everything. And God's all-sufficiency in nature should support our view toward Him and His sovereignty. As we look to Him with that contemplation, with that on our mind, that should always be at the fore. We might even recall what the psalmist says in Psalm 8 and verse 3, when I consider the heavens, the works of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? The psalmist's declaration there is that nature itself is so grand and great, God is so high and so sovereign, that how does God reach down and care for mankind who seems almost insignificant by comparison. You see, the book of nature helps us realize God's greatness. It helps us in some respects realize God's goodness because He's given us all things that pertain to life. We know that Peter would tell us God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us to glory and virtue. But even in the created order, God has given us all things that pertain to life here in this physical world. But you see, the book of nature is insufficient to cause us to come to a right view of God. You might be thinking, wait, what did you just say? The book of nature itself is insufficient because in the book of nature there is no remedy for sin. In the book of nature there is no forgiveness. You see, we can't turn to nature and glean one of those basic fundamental principles about God's justice and God's forgiveness and mercy from nature itself. You see, we have to turn to God's revelation in that respect. Nature does not reveal all things to us. Nature merely points us to God and shows us His greatness, His sovereignty. But then there is a book, as we continue looking through the works of the Old Testament, what we find is another book. And I'm grateful that this book is there. Many of you might have these books lying around your house, a book of remembrance. Uh, I know, ladies, you probably do. It's called your honeydew list. It's those things that you want your husband to remember to do, and you will make sure that he's done them. In fact, I'm sure, gentlemen, you've had plenty of time over the past couple of weeks to tackle that book of remembrance or that list of remembrance. But Malachi 3.16 is different in what it remembers though. If you have your Bibles, I would like you to turn to the context here. Malachi 3 and verse 16. The text here tells us, Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. Now look what he says. Continue reading in verse 17. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them 
as a man spareth his own son that serves him. Then shall you return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. You see, this book of remembrance is something that we care about. Uh, I know when you first got married, you wanted your spouse to remember the good things that you had done for them. Why? Because you thought there might be a return on it for you. I know when Tara and I first got married, I accidentally remembered something. Uh, she's probably shaking her head right now saying, please don't tell this story, but I will, I think. Um, when we first got married, I decided to make her a wonderful dinner. And it was just on a whim. I went and I bought some fresh fish, came home, uh, put it on the, the, the grill, grilled it up, did some squash, did some green beans, uh, went the whole nine yards, put the candles on the table, and right as I was plating it and setting it on the table, lighting that candle, she opened the door and walked in. It, you could not have timed it any more perfect. And so as she came over to the table, she was excited and she was smiling and looking at me and she said, oh, you remembered. I said, why, yes, 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 I did. About halfway through the meal, though, she said, you didn't remember, did you? And my response was, remember what? And she said, well, we've been married three months now. I don't know who was counting, but apparently she was. Well, we want to remember good things. That's why we have anniversaries and birthdays and the like. But here, what is remembered are those who fear God and that thought upon his name. What a blessing to be remembered by God and what comfort there is in knowing that God remembers his own. But there's also the alternative. In Isaiah chapter 30, in verse 8, the Bible there says, Now go, write it before them in a table and note it in a book that it may be for the time to come. What is he saying? Go and write these things down so people can remember them forever and ever that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, see not, and to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceits, get you out of the way, turn aside out of the path, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. You see, there are two sides to this coin of remembrance. There is the good things that we want God to remember. But then there are also those things that God will remember and retain if we choose not to pursue after Him. God makes it very clear here in Isaiah, write it in a table. And even now, some 3,000 years later, you and I are able to look at the pages of God's Word and read of the transgressions of God's people. Where are we, though? Have you ever heard that phrase, they have a long memory? Most of the time when that's used, it's not used in a good sense. It's used in a remembering of grudges or in a remembering of those things that people have perpetrated against me. And so at the appropriate time, one will get them back. You see, I want us to understand that God will only remember those things that we want Him to remember. And I'll shore that up with verses here in just a moment. But look at 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 5. The Lord will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and make manifest the counsels of the hearts. Luke 8 and verse 17. Nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest. We cannot hide things from the God of heaven. He knows the hearts of men. Jesus, it's even said of him, and needed not that he should testify of any, for he knew what was in man. John chapter 2. Because he knows, he can bring that to light. 
But there are some things God will not remember. We look at Jeremiah 31 and verse 34 and what he says there. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. You see, what the record books contain is determined by what God decides to remember and what He decides to forget. And much of that is predicated on our disposition toward Him. If we love Him and choose to follow Him, He says He will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. For those who stand in opposition to the God of heaven, by their works they shall be judged, and by their works they will be condemned. You see, it's up to us to decide what we want God to remember concerning our lives. I'm so thankful that we can look at a David who is found in the pages of Holy Writ and see that God blotted out his sin and his transgression. He was merciful to him. Someone who perpetrated such great things against God and yet he was still able to find favor with the God of heaven. But then we might even turn our attention to one of the uh, bipartite divisions of this book that you are holding, and that is really the Old Testament. What is contained in the Old Testament that is so great for us? Well, Romans 15:4, the Apostle Paul would say, "The things which were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. But hope in what? Well, we might turn our attention a little bit forward to Galatians chapter three and see that the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. And so the Old Testament continues to be the most impressive witness to the deity of Jesus the Christ. And it establishes his credentials historically for ages prior to the incarnation. We might look at Jesus the Christ's words of himself found in John 5 and verse 39. He tells the Pharisees there, search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. You see, the Old Testament is valuable for our study because it points us to Jesus the Messiah. Luke 24 and verse 44, as Jesus is walking along the road uh, to Emmaus, what we see there is, And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms. You see, that turns our attention back to the prophetic nature of God's word. And the pre-incarnation and deity of Jesus the Christ. I am grateful that you and I have the Old Testament. Else the question would be, how do we prove Jesus is who he said he is? You see, God made it available to us so that we could go back and look at the fact that he was the one that was to come. And we are grateful that we have that ability to go back and to look at that. We might even think about Revelation 19 and what the Bible teaches us there. The Bible there tells us that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. All of those things that were prophesied had importance for them at the time, but also had a greater significance in the manifestation of Jesus the Christ. Several of those would be Isaiah 53, uh, Psalm uh, 23. And we look at Jesus as the great shepherd there. Jesus is the sheep who lays down his life for us. And, and the Old Testament prophecies are myriad. I could go into many, but I, I won't for the sake of time. 
The scriptures cannot be broken, John 10 and verse 35, as Jesus declares. And if that's the case, then we know that Jesus is that Messiah that was to come. O ye fools and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Then he said unto them, Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And note what he says, in beginning at Moses and all the prophets, verse 25, he expounded unto them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Would you have not loved to be there on the road to Emmaus to hear the first gospel sermon ever preached by the Christ himself? Out of the pages of the Old Testament, we might think about Apollos, who was mighty in the scriptures, the Bible tells us, who was opening and alleging that Jesus was the Christ from the Old Testament. Knowing it so well, knowing the Old Testament so well, and those prophecies that spoke of Jesus, he could convince people that Jesus was who he claimed to be. But see, you and I don't have to stop there. We can turn our attention forward into the second part of that division, and that is the New Testament. You see, this is the greatest testament to confirm the incarnation of Christ. It attests to Jesus as the Messiah. We look at the fulfillment of the life of Christ in the Gospel accounts, and then in Acts chapter 1, we see the commission that is given to His apostles, and the spread of the Gospel from there into Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And we're grateful that we have a written record of the things that Jesus said and did, and then the things that the apostles did as well, that allege Jesus as the Messiah. We look at Jesus, though, and there's something unique about Him. As God incarnate, as God in the flesh, He taught them, the Bible tells us, as one having authority and not as the scribes. Matthew 7 and verse 29, the Bible tells us. We might look back in verse 24 and verse 26 of Matthew chapter 7 and see what He says there. I'm grateful that He says in that passage, He that hears these sayings of mine... Not of some random rabbi that he had fallen into favor with. Not some random person who had taught from times past. But that he who hears these sayings of mine and does them is the condition or does not do them is also a condition as he sets it forth there. We move forward into another passage. Jesus says in John 12 and verse 48, that he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word has one that judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. You see, the great thing about the New Testament is it not only shows the Messiahship of Christ, but it shows his authority that he has over all things as well. The word of the Lord, that is the gospel, endures forever, and this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. 1 Peter 1 and verse 25. We might even look at Matthew 28, 18 and the great commission that is given to the apostles there. Jesus would say, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We look at what Jesus there tells them. You are to go and to teach the things that I have commanded. Jesus taking authority in that role as the Messiah, as the Redeemer, as our Savior. But we can't help think about the Messiahship of Christ without reflecting on the next book. And that is the record of every man's works. This might scare us a little bit because when we think about all that we have done in a life, we know and we have a conscience and we can look back on those things that were probably not pleasing to God. 
In that same token, we might be able to look at the things that we've done that we're good and be proud of. And we can stand up and say, I am a child of God. I'm doing my best. But every life is encumbered with sin. Every life is encumbered with those things that cause us to be removed further at times from the God of heaven. The record of every man's works is another record that is written. All of the sacred writers make it clear that people shall be judged, quote, according to their works. Modern theology is very uncomfortable with this idea because the record of every person's deeds means that it has an impact on their eternal destination. You know, there will be a judgment that we will all stand before. What is intriguing to me, though, is that the record of every man's works, as we've mentioned before, can be remembered or blotted out. Those transgressions that we've committed can be forgiven, and we can stand justified before the God of heaven. But Jesus taught that every man would be judged according to his works. John 5 and verse 29, the Bible says, And shall come forth they that have done good under the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil. And note what he says, under the resurrection of damnation. He doesn't mince words here. He says, those who have done good will come forth to the resurrection of life. Those who have done wicked or evil to the resurrection of damnation or death. They will hear those words, depart from me, you who work lawlessness, I never knew you. Does it matter what we do in this life? Yes. Are we saved by works, salvation? Absolutely not. It can be hard for us to understand that concept at times. Our works matter. Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. He that has my commandments, he would also say, and keeps them, he it is that loveth me. We show God that we love him by our obedience and faithfulness to him. Jesus, when asked what the greatest commandment is, when he was asked, what is the first and greatest commandment? He responded with, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, strength, and mind. But he didn't stop there. He said, the second is like unto it, love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. You see, the blessing for you and me is, is that when our hearts are right with God, when our disposition toward Him is right, then our choices that we make in this life ought to follow. We ought to pursue those things that make for peace, not only with God, but with mankind as well. So move forward in Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. What we see is a, is a stark contrast between the righteous and the wicked. Jesus, in dealing with those individuals who helped Him in this life, and helped everyone in this life who had a mindset towards service were told to come in. And those who were not were left out. That is the separation of the sheep from the goats. Why? Because they weren't serving Christ. And not serving others is not serving Christ. Here it is that we see in this particular passage that Jesus remarks about in the sheep and the goats. But see, Christ separates His people based on active service to Him. Luke 6 and verse 46 through 49, Jesus talks about the foundation that people are laying. But he asks this question that I think is very important. He says, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? You see, action again is what is most important when it comes to this record of every man's works. 
Paul taught it as well. We move forward into Romans chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. Paul would say, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath, and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his works. He would go on in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, to say, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. See, Peter taught this as well in Acts 10 and verse 35. He said, For I perceive of a truth that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. You see, our actions matter. See, even the book of Revelation that we're in right now teaches this very thing. Jesus says to the church at Laodicea in Revelation 3 and verse 15, I know thy works. God knows what we are doing. And we will be judged on that record of every man's works. What do our works look like? Can we be proud of them? Can we stand back and say, I've done that which I've been asked to do by God? Or do we hang our head in shame about the life that we've pursued up to this point? Because those are real and valuable questions that we might ask. Revelation 20 and verse 13. The Bible there says, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to his works. One of the greatest verses that I find is also found in Revelation verse 14 and 13. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth, for they do rest from their labors and their works do follow. See, our works can be a blessing if we're choosing to follow God in a life that's lived in fidelity and faithfulness to Him. But lastly, when we're examining these books that the Bible tells us about, we're turned naturally to that most important one that we are so and can be so concerned about. And that is the book of life. Philippians 4 and verse 3, the Apostle Paul says here, And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Here we're treated to a great picture by Paul talking to the church at Philippi, encouraging them after this great letter, he tells them, I know that their names are in the book of life. You see, that is the goal of every one of us as we strive to live this life here. Is to have our name written in that book there. So that we can hear those words, enter in, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. We might think back to the book of remembrance that was written before them for them that feared the Lord. There is that remembrance, but there is ultimately that final destination where we are granted eternal life at home in heaven with God. And so oftentimes we forget that that is the end of all of our aspirations, all of our hopes, all of our dreams, everything that we're striving here below for culminates in those words and our name being immortalized on that great ledger in heaven. You see, I want my name there. And I want to know that it's written there. The question might arise, can we know? Yes, we can. Revelation 13, 8. 
The Bible tells us, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship Him. Everyone will worship Him whose names are not written in the book of the Lamb of Life, slain from the foundation of the world. Even those whose names aren't will fall down. Philippians chapter 2 is very clear on this as well. All will kneel before God and worship Jesus the Christ. Everyone will. But will our names be written there? Revelation 20 and verse 15, the Bible says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I think about this statement, and this is a very frightening statement in some respects, because it makes us think about really our eternal end. Where are we headed? Where are we going? I realize that there's a virus out there plaguing many people, but that's not what scares me the most. I'm not afraid of that. What I would be ultimately afraid of was, would be to hear those words, depart from me. You who work lawlessness, I never do. Just like you, I don't want to hear those words. How do we live in such a way so that we don't have to hear those words? I think about as the book of Revelation concludes, what he says in chapter 21 and verse 27. There shall in no wise enter into it anything that defiles, neither whatsoever works abomination or makes a lie, but again, they that, that are written in the Lamb's book of life. In contemplation of that statement, in contemplation of that most important statement for us as we live here below and look to God in heaven for our eternal rest and our eternal home, there is consolation in knowing that if we are what God wants us to be, then we can enter into that rest there is a rest, therefore, to the people of God. Hebrews 4 and verse 9. And I am grateful that God's people can enter into it. There are several books, as we've mentioned tonight, in the Word of God. I think the one that you and I should be highly concerned with is the last. It may be a combination of the two. But as we move forward into our walk with God, we need to be ultimately concerned about ensuring that we are in heaven with Him. You see, and we have the ability, Peter would tell us, to make our calling and election sure. That falls squarely on your shoulders tonight. You might think about this last passage, Psalm 69 and verse 28. It says, let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. You see, this is the end of all of those who reject God. The question arises tonight, what end will you choose for yourself? In light of all of these things that are going on in our society, in our communities, in light of all of the illness that we see around us, and uh, maybe the, uh, the panic about the spread of this illness, there's one thing that you and I should be 100% sure of, and that is the fact that we are promised a home in heaven with God if we but serve and follow and love Him. I pray that all of us are striving to live in such a way that would draw us closer to God and ultimately to heaven in eternity rather than further away. If you need the prayers of the congregation, we are not offering a formal invitation as we typically do, but we have elders in this congregation. We have ministers, we have deacons who are willing to reach out and to visit with you and to encourage and to pray with you and for you if you have that need. 
And if you need to put Christ on in immersion so that you can have that promise of an eternal home with heaven and God one day, then we also ask you to make that decision as well. Don't delay.